Uh, good evening. Uh, tonight, we will be discussing a uh, portion of the Torah, <clears throat> which I must, uh, I must admit, I, I don't know whether I have to admit it, but it is the Pasha, which there is practically nothing written on it. Nothing written on it. I'm referring to the Pasha Titzaveh. This week's portion, in other words, this coming Shabbat, we will be reading the portion of Pasha Titzaveh. What does this weekly portion deal with? And of course, as we, as we always understand, that the reading of the Torah and Shabbat is not just a custom uh, for the purpose of uh, perpetuating our Jewish heritage as an example. I guess for two reasons. Number one, most Jews don't do it anymore. So is that an indication if most Jews do not uh, adhere to that kind of tradition, does that make it invalid? Maybe the reasons for listening to the reading of this week's portion in the uh, Beta Knesset on Shabbat is not fully explained. And maybe that's one of the reasons why many people do not find uh, any, uh, any purpose, do not find, in addition, uh, a particular satisfaction that they can achieve or that they can derive from the listening of this week's Pasha. It is truly one of those Pasha Yot that it just doesn't seem to be giving a message and, I, and many people go to a Beta Knesset for messages, to listen to the rabbi talk and hear some good words, some enlightening words. However, what does it have to do with the Pasha? Now, what does this week's Pasha deal with? With the clothing of the priest. The clothing of the priest. Now, one would immediately imagine that the clothing of the priest certainly has no relationship to us unless maybe one of us are from the priestly family then maybe it might be of interest to us to know what kind of clothing the priest had uh, been adorned with during the time of the Mishkan which was in the wilderness the tabernacle or with the Beta Mikdash but other than that of what concern is it to us the Israelites of of the kind of clothing that he would don to perform the particular service in the Beth Amikdash or in the uh, or in the tabernacle. In fact, I uh, only on Shabbat uh, that passed that I ex- even go into the idea of the tabernacle itself. Why would we have to read the portion of Truma, which deals with the construction of the tabernacle, not the construction of the uh, Beth Amikdash, construction of the tabernacle, which, incidentally, was, uh, was there for only a limited time and a limited purpose. So it's all over with. They built the temple, the tabernacle no longer is here, the Mishkan is no longer here, 
In fact, we do not even pray that one day the tabernacle shall appear. It's the Beta Mikdash that we all strive for, that we all pray for. But the tabernacle? What is that for? What is the purpose? And why do we read it? But to a limited extent, which I I don't want to uh, delve into because it doesn't completely deal with this week's portion, but nevertheless, in a, in a general sense, the Mishkan and the Tabernacle is for us today, that is the reading of last week's portion in the Beta Knesset, is for us what we call the security shield. The security shield. We, by connecting to the reading, do benefit from that particular reading. The purpose of which is to create that kind of certainty around us. Because we know that for most of us, a good part of our lives remains in an uncertainty stage. We're not sure what would happen tomorrow. Uh, We're not sure when we're in an automobile what would happen. When we're in an airplane, we're not sure what can happen. So for most of us, or all of us, I should say, we're never certain. The minute we leave the, the four walls of the confines of our house, what happens next? And then there are even those who do not even feel the security of living within a closed environment, meaning one's own home. So whatever those insecurities that exist in all of us, the purpose of the reading of Pasha Truma in a general way is to give us that kind of security shield. That was the purpose of the tabernacle. It served as a security shield in which no nation, no nation, no enemy of Israel could lay their finger upon them. And so that was the reason why we read last week's portion. But one point I must make uh, that will be the theme of, of this idea of clothing of the priest, which as I say, unfortunately, there is very little that is written about it. And that refers to when the purpose that God says to build a tabernacle is that I should be able to dwell within it. But I should be able to dwell within it. Now, first of all, does God need a place to dwell? Isn't he all over? What is this specialty about him coming into resting in a particular place? Vasuli Migdash, in chapter 25, Vasuli Migdash, Veshechati Betocham. Make for me a sanctuary and I shall rest within it. Again, we must understand that we cannot translate this particular verse literally because it has really no meaning. God is all over. What does it mean? There he will rest. And what about the rest of the world? I mean, he can confine himself like almost uh, I don't want to say uh, when uh, when the Shmuel Bital wished to uh, exercise people, he would get a, uh, a bottle called Sawan and put the uh, you know this 
this the book or whatever it was, the genie into a bottle, closed it, and now that's where he rests. I mean, are we referring to God like we're going to consolidate and um, and reduce him into a, a into a little form that now fits into a house? I mean, here we understand that he exists all over the world. Now, the Torah tells us and God is informing us and commanding us that we create this house, which wasn't a very large one, and that's where he's going to dwell. How do we understand that? The answer is that God, of course, dwells all over. His presence is all over. Then the question that we must raise, if his presence is all over, how come we have to experience holocausts and programs and and inquisitions if God is all over. And so it says throughout all the scriptures, God is all over. So what does it mean he wants to be confined? Does that imply that there's a benefit if we confine him? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. It is similar to the soul, similar to the soul, that when it is not confined within a body. It does not express itself. In other words, like electricity, energy, a force, does not become actual until it is consumed within a frame of reference. Until it is consumed in a frame of reference. The soul must be confined within a body, then it can express itself. Because as we, as Rabbi Shimon says, there are souls floating all around us all the time. All the time. We don't see them. Most of us do not experience them. The Adi says how we can. How we can make connections to these invisible souls. But for most people, we do not connect to souls. We have no, we have no uh, a forethought or we have no, uh, no feeling or intuition that their existence or their presence is even close by. So by and large, we, we can only experience souls when they are enclosed in a body. The same way as electrical current cannot be experienced unless it is contained within a bulb, within a generator, or any other appliance. Without, without that clothing, without that body, without a frame, we cannot experience the benefit or even uh, connect or have some intuition that this, that this kind of influence, this kind of uh, power is present. Therefore, the Zohar explains when it says, V'asulim Mikdash, Hashem was giving us an opportunity, which is the Beta Mikdash as well, giving us an opportunity by which we could build a frame, not for all of God, but for the, for the force of God to become an actual and a realization for us that we can make use of it, which was the purpose, to make use of the force, because the force, like the limited form of electricity, if it is not housed within a particular frame of reference, we cannot make use of it. The same way 
as we can never make use of the force of God, although his presence is all over the world, but if I need his presence, if I need that force to create for me, me personally, a security shield, that God protect me. What do you mean God protect me? He's all over. The fact that he's all over does not mean that his force, the light, becomes an actualization. That can act as a security shield for me. Only when we take that force and it becomes actualized, and this was the purpose of the Mishkan, that when the Mishkan was built with its proper dimensions, what do you mean dimensions? Again, why does it have to have to, uh, to uh, Amot or whatever the cubic feet's here and so many cubic feet there, or the Betabikdash. Why all of these measurements? Again, the measurements were indicative not of physical measurements, but that these measurements were capable of handling these proper measurements and the proper structure was capable of connecting of associating and making manifest the force as a vital and distinguishable force for us to be protected. In other words, again, the force is all over. But unfortunately, the force didn't do very well for the Jews in Germany. It did not do very well for the Jews in Spain or for all throughout history, wherever Jews were located. The reason was, despite that there was Beit HaKnesset, which we say today means a Beit HaKnesset v'shechanti betocham, that this is a Beit HaMikdash Ma'at, every Beit HaKnesset is considered like a Mishkan, or even like a Beit HaMikdash, but a small miniature Beit HaMikdash, and that should serve the purpose. Unfortunately, it did not serve the purpose. There were Beta Knesset in Germany, Europe, all of Europe. And throughout history, there were Bete, Bete Knesset. But they did not serve the purpose. Why not? We already have been instructed of a method by which we can contain the force. Now that we know that a force, a structure of a, fo- of a frame, can make the force of Hashem actual, and therefore act as a security shield for us. The same way as the Ark of Noah was what? It was structured so, says the Zohar. Sure, there was a physical force, but within that physical measurements, Noah instilled, activated the internal energy of everything that consisted of the Ark. In other words... The wood. Wood is 99% atoms. It is not 99% wood. It's only 1% wood. The rest is atoms. 99%. Gold that we learned was used in the Mishkan. What does it mean when they use gold? Was it for ornaments? Purposes? To make it look nice? Or that it should last long? 
Gold lasts long. Is that why they used gold? Of course not. They used other metals. They used silver and they used bronze or copper. Why did they use these metals? What was the purpose of the metals? The answer is that Betzalel, the architect of the Mishkan, knew that when he was dealing with gold, he was not dealing with a metallic entity. He was dealing with the 99%, 99% of the internal energy of gold, which we know because of its yellowish color, represents the aspect of Gevura, represents the aspect of the force. Chachma. Wherever there is the strongest desire to receive, we learn in the Talmud Esosvirot, there we have the greatest amount of the realization and manifestation of the force. Therefore, why is gold a precious metal? Why is it a durable metal? Simply stated. Because it has the greatest manifestation of the force. Because that 1% can bring it out. But it has to be brought out. That was the work of Betzalel, the architect. He brought out the internal energy forces. The 99% was brought out by Betzalel. So when they created a Mishkan, the same way as any Beta Knesset, if that Beta Knesset did not proceed in its structure, in its internal prayers and everything else, with a creation of a frame, meaning you have a Sefer Torah, that makes it a Beta Knesset. Not completely. Not completely. Not completely. Assuming even that this Beit HaKnesset, wherever it is, had a Sefer Torah which was proper, which is very rare, says Rabbi Shimon. Now, if we think in our day that it is difficult to acquire a Sefer Torah that is kasher, which is kosher, we have to go to Rabbi Shimon that we quoted several weeks ago, where Rabbi Shimon says in his days, 2,000 years ago, not today, 2,000 years ago, he says if there was a kosher sefer Torah, that could save the community. But they couldn't even find one in those days. It was difficult. I shouldn't say they couldn't find one. It was difficult to find one. Well, 2,000 years ago. So today, what can we expect? How many sefer Torah can actually be kasher. And the truth of the matter is, now with uh, Baruch Hashem, the new computer system, they can test um, almost immediately for 80% of the validity of the Sefer Torah. It can't check everything. It can't check, as, uh, for example, whether there is a slit, a slight um, sedic, a slight uh, split that is almost a hairline split in the letter itself. That the computer can't pick up, but it can pick up missing letters, missing words, additional letters, additional words, and they find that 87% are not kasher. And that doesn't even bring us to the true picture, to the true picture of how many Sefer Torahs are kasher. In other words, what about the rest of them that the computer cannot uh, analyze? Therefore, when we discuss the architecture of the Mishkan, we are not discussing metallics, 
We are not discussing the skins that were used. We are discussing the internal energies that were activated by the architects of the structure. And that is the purpose of reading last week's Pasha. Now we come to the clothing. And we, all, we ask the obvious question. What is clothing? What is the purpose of the clothing, number one? And then what does that do for us? How does that assist us in the fact that he's wearing holy clothes? Why they're holy, we don't know yet. But he's wearing holy clothes. What does that do for me today? Firstly, there is no Bet HaMikdash. So why do I have to read this Pasha, a Pasha Tetzaveh? And what, is the, what are the clothes all about? A clue, a clue is immediately provided when you look for the clues and you have to know the clues. But the, without the Zohar, I must, I must confess I, I don't find that many clues. But in Pasha Tetzaveh, there are exactly 101 verses. Exactly. In other words, for most people who go who attend the Beta Knesset, ask them how many verses are there in this particular portion. Any portion. <laughs> Why is is that of any concern? How many? For us, it is a concern. Why? Because verses are the physical structures, the way we perceive, when the way Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai perceives the words of the Torah as what? Manifestation of the force. The same way as the Mishkan becomes the manifestation, a frame of reference, a body, becomes a body. That the force can be revealed. No, it's God's, again, it's all over. In every Beta Knesset, what is left to the Beta Knesset, like it was left to the architect of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle, was how do you make that internal energy force that is roaming all over the world called the force of God become actual for me as a force to protect me? The verses. Now, do we think that they were just by chance the rabbis decided so many verses because if you look at the uh, at the scroll themselves it is not divided into chapters you know chapter 1 chapter 2 chapter 46 they're not divided there are no numbers there how many verses ought to be the rabbis decided that the sages now, why did they choose 101, 101 for this particular portion? They had a reason. It is a clue. Now, for those of you who studied Kabbalah, know the significance of 101, 101. And it says at the end of, if you have certain, if you have this, Kumash, or most, or 90% of most Kumashim that we read from, it does not tell you how many <coughs> verses are contained in each weekly re- reading. But there are those that do tell you. And it says, what is 101? Michael. Michael. That immediately furnishes us with a clue about what this whole Pasha is about and what the clothing are about. 
and what the clothing are going to do for us today. Today. But where is the Kohen? But the same idea that the Kohen, that physical Kohen, the physical priest, was there then, in the Bet HaMikdash, or in the tabernacle, we can make the same use, not maybe to the extent of a Bet HaMikdash, obviously. Why? Because the Bet HaMikdash can take care of the whole universe. It can provide a sufficient amount of protection, not only for the individual, not only for the Jew in general, but for the whole world. As long as the temple was there, there was peace. Not only for the Jew, it was peace for all nations of the world. Because the force was revealed by the Beth HaMikdash. The force was revealed by the Beth HaMikdash. Now we learn in Kabbalah, and we will shortly read the Zohar, because that, other than uh, his enlightenment, we also, by virtue of reading the Zohar, we realize that we reach and achieve another dimension in our understanding of the same text. That's that's the plus of reading Zohar. Over and above all other all other material. What does the Zohar say concerning clothing? From the upper light, the Hainuzer Ampin, that which is totally unrevealed, that upper light, when, I, when, when the Zohar discusses upper light, what does he mean, upper light, lower lights? Upper always means that which is undefinable undistinguishable, indistinguishable. You can't tell that it's around. That's called upper lights. So the word is elyon, upper. Lower lights refers to where there is a manifestation of that internal metaphysical light called the light of Hashem. When it becomes revealed, it is then called a lower light. Malchut is our domain, our frame of reference, the physical domain. Argaman is purple. Argaman is purple. We know that within these clothing, these, the aspects of the clothing, there are different colors that we used. Does that make any difference? Is there a purpose in the, in the, uh, in the uh, clothing? Reading chapter 28, verse 5, where it says, And they shall take the gold, and the blue, and the purple, and the scarlet, and fine linen. Is this a prescription for nice clothing? Is this a designer's clothes? In other words, uh, B'Tzalel was noted as a designer of clothes? It doesn't say that. But why did they, why did they take these particular colors? 
The reason, says the Zohar, they took these particular colors because colors become manifest according to the way they appear. In other words, just like electricity can appear in a generator, tremendous force. Also, electricity can appear in a 5-watt bulb. In other words, how it becomes manifest, in what it becomes manifest, so shall be the intensity of the force. Colors, says the Zohar, reveals the same idea. We are not discussing on how clothing become nicer or how to make a nice suit of clothes. We are discussing the power of colors. Red, we know, is gvura. What does it mean, gvura? It means when someone wears red clothing, there is an intensity of left column energy because that redness is the vehicle, like a generator or like a 5-watt bulb, that makes the force become manifest. Argaman, we know, is purple. Purple is the color which is all-inclusive. Okay? It is, shall we say, the best color, purple. Okay? Without getting into, and we don't want to uh, discuss now uh, colors. But this combination of all of these colors that were taken, says the Zohar, and they structured it together with this particular formula, what happens? This combination of colors that we, or let's say most people reading the Torah, when it comes to these few verses in any yeshiva, and certainly the one I studied in, it is one of those that you quickly, quickly move over. I mean, there's, there's really nothing there that you want to. They took different colors. So what? Says the Zohar, no. The structure of those colors. So I guess if we had someone who designs clothes, might benefit from, from studying the Zohar, on clothing, he may sell his clothes better if he had the right combinations. Maybe it requires that. But in any event, the lesson being taught here, according to the Zohar, is this particular, this particular combination of colors and the way it was woven, which is ex- thoroughly explained in the Talmud, which is the purpose of of uh, of these verses by which the Talmud espouses on the written word of the Torah. Says the Zohar, what happened was the force of Michael, the angel Michael, and what is the angel of Michael? The force of right column, the force of Chesed, which is the force of the Kohen Gadol. Did these clothing become holy? Because the Kohen Gadol wore them? Or did the Kohen Gadol wear these clothing because that made the Kohen Gadol? Do you follow the question? It's the same question that we always ask concerning the Bet HaMikdash. Is Jerusalem holy because the temple was there? Or is 
the city of Jerusalem holy and therefore the temple was created there. In other words, what is the cause and what is the effect? We know that never, never does a physical manifestation indicate or provide an answer of what the internal aspect is. It is never the cause. An effect remains an effect and a cause remains a cause. The cause is never physical. The cause always, always originates on a metaphysical level. So you'll ask yourself the question, always? Sure. Let me see one individual in this universe perform a physical activity without first thinking about it. An imbecile doesn't think about it. But is there anybody who goes ahead and does things without thinking first? So where does the action begin? With the physical activity or with the mental activity? With the metaphysical activity? Obviously, it's a metaphysical activity. Therefore, everything originates on a metaphysical level. It should not be strange to us when we say that these clothing made the Kohen Gadol. They were appropriate for Aaron because he had the trappings, he had the qualifications that these clothing could match. You know, they even say that about clothing, matching the, the, the wearer of the clothing. Some clothing match. Oh, this doesn't match. This is not your style. What do you mean it's your style? Personality, the way he looks, whatever. In other words... And today especially, we have become so conscious of designer clothing that we don't even choose our own clothing anymore. The designer decides what we're going to wear. We don't choose. That's also an indication of the age of Aquarius. We no longer have, we think we have choices in the clothes we buy. No. The clothes, the clothes decide what you're going to wear. The clothes decide what you're going to wear. Therefore, the Zohar reveals this incredible idea concerning this verse, chapter 28, verse 5, that the clothing was so tr- structured as to bring out the power of the angel Michael. And now you understand why there are 20, uh, 101 verses in this portion. Because since the subject is dealing with what? Clothing. It's dealing with clothing. And the purpose of the clothing was for whom? For the Kohen Gadol. What will make the Kohen Gadol act in the capacity of a Kohen Gadol? Because he was already Aharon? But you can ask yourself the question. And I'm sure you have always asked that question. I could have raised that question at the very beginning. But I would get you lost if I asked, you know, 10 to 12 questions. We forget which ones I've got to give an answer. I might even forget. Why do we need clothing? Special clothing. Wasn't Aharon HaKohen chosen to be the Kohen Gadol? What's the difference what clothing he would wear? Someone even once asked me, why do you wear this? I said, personally, I probably would be more comfortable in a t-shirt maybe and a pair of uh, sweatpants. I mean, is this, is this as comfortable, let's say, as, as jeans and, or sweatpants or a sweatshirt? The truth. Physically, what do we feel better in? Would I be better off? At least I don't wear a tie, so I feel more comfortable without the tie. I mean, imagine if I had to wear a tie all the time. I mean, feel so bundled up, cramped. Right? 
What's this whole business about clothing? In fact, maybe the Torah is responsible for people going out to spend enormous sums of money for something that they might wear only once. Just for one occasion, then throw it out. What a waste. Can't we make weddings with jeans? Look how much cheaper everything would be. Why must it be the other way around? Who started this business? I know who the culprit is. The Kohen Gadol. He's at fault. The answer is no. The answer is, as we will learn soon, from an, from an unusual source that we never would think that the idea of clothing originated somewhere, and it originated in the Torah. Because clothing are not merely a form of just feeling comfortable. I mean, the kind of clothes we're going to wear is because this is what I like or what... No, it fits you. If you're not comfortable with the clothing, it's because the colors, the stitch, whatever, does not match you. So when the Torah says... Prepare these kinds of clothing for Aaron, for Aharon, the high priest to wear, because they knew that the kind of clothes that Aharon must wear must be, must be those kind of clothing that matches his structure. His structure was what? Chesed. He was the Kohen Gadol. What is the structure of Chesed? For those of you who have learned Kabbalah, you know that that the answer is quite simple. When it says, Bereshit Baralakim Beta Shemai Betaris, the first day of creation, what does it say? Vayera Vaiboke, Yom Echad. The second day says, Vayera Vaiboke, Yom Sheni. And of course, the Zohar and everyone else asks, if you know Hebrew somewhat, then you would know that if it says, Vayera Vaiboke, Yom Sheni, Shlishi, and so forth, and that was evening and day, the second day, third day, fourth day, five, fifth day, then the first day should be the first day. Not Yom Echad, one unified whole. One day, day one. What do you mean day one? What do you mean day one? It should say first day of creation. This is, this is a common question that's asked. Everyone asks this question. Yom Echad, one day. Why does it say why not Yom Rishon? The answer is, Yom Echad, says the Zohar, is like the seed. It contains all and is completely unified. The seed. It contains the, the trunk. It contains the bark. It contains even the fruit. It even contains the fruit at the end. It's a completely unified whole. When the Kohen and unfortunately, the Kohanim today, if they only knew the power, if they only knew the thieves they are today, because they can, they can furnish, they can, they can share so much energy, if they only knew what they were. But you know, Kohen is Kohen. He's supposed to get the first Aliyah. We're supposed to give him the Kavod. Of the first Aliyah. You know, that's why we give him Kohen. Because it's tradition. Give him some honor. Give him some kavod. Or the Pidyun Aben. Who else? Who else? It says. The Kohen is the one who has to make the redemption of the firstborn. Do they understand that there's power in that Kohen? 
Does the Kohen know that he has that kind of power? If he knew that he had that kind of power, the blessing of the Kohen would be an entirely different stretch, a frame of reference, a different structure. But he thinks, yeah, well, I guess they want me to bless them. For some reason, they, they feel I can bless them. He can't. Why? Because he is the structure of Yom Echad. He is the structure of Michael. He is the structure of unity. And so when he blesses us, he's blessing me, he's blessing him, he's blessing her. All peoples he can bless, he can. Do you know why? Because he contains all. He's Yom Echad, not Yom Rishon. He is a one unified whole. And therefore he can act as the channel because he has this metaphysical internal energy intelligence of Michael that he particularly can be the channel for this kind of energy that we, we can receive the healing powers that a Kohen has and should dispense with, but he doesn't even know. He doesn't know. And even if he does know, he has to learn about the bracha. What is the bracha that he makes? He doesn't even know why he makes the bracha. He thinks, well, I have to bless the Jews. I bless the Jews. So why did they structure the bracha the way they did? So without getting into Birkat HaKohanim, I don't want to get into the blessing of the, of the Kohen, but it's explained in the Zohar clearly how we can tap the Kohen. First of all, he has to be knowledgeable that he can be tapped. And secondly, how he acts as a channel. That's the problem. But not the problem is that what is there to a Kohen other than giving him respect. It is more than that. Therefore, when the, then when Pasha Tetzaveh has 101 verses, no secret, it's a clue. Take it for what it is. It's indicating, not like in the previous week, Pashat Tuma, because that's dealing with what? The security shield. We are now dealing with whom? The Kohen. This Pashat Tetzaveh is dealing with the Kohen. And if you recall in the first few minutes of tonight's session, I said there is so little that is written on this Pasha. What is there to write? I mean, maybe even some of the commentators were embarrassed to write about how you make designers clothes. You know, they didn't want to get into that. No, the Zohar spends a great deal of ink on that to tell us that each part of the clothing of the Kohen consisted of a frame of reference by which the force of Michael could be manifested, physically manifested, and then the Kohen donning these clothes would be embellished because he could handle this kind of this kind of force. He could handle the force of Michael. Only he can. That's why there's many people that when they give charity, which is a form of chesed, they give numbers in 101, 202, 505, many people do that. Because by that number, they are also tapping in a certain way that same kind of energy. 
it appears, and we will learn why from the Zohar, what is so special about this force? What is so special? The Kohen Gadol can provide everyone with a blessing. Why? Because he's Yom Echad. He is Chesed. We know, for whatever reason, and certainly Edison didn't have the slightest understanding of why when he created the bulb, the negative pole draws it in. The filament resists. And then, through the positive pole, because one should ask, why do we need a positive pole in there? No, it serves almost no purpose. In fact, the important thing is the negative pole. It draws in the current. Okay, for whatever reason, Edison didn't understand. You have to push back. We learn in Talmud Esesfirot in the morning that it means restriction. In other words, unless there is restriction. If your life does not consist of restriction, there is no circuitry and certainty in your life. Oh, it can last for five years, ten years, twenty. But at a certain given point, there will be a fragmentation. There must be, like in the bulb, as long as the filament operates, it's functional, there will be circuitry. But why does the ultimately the light or the current that's going to turn on this bulb have to come through the positive pole? Why? There is no scientist in the world that can give you an answer. He can only tell you that's the way it becomes functional. But why it must be channeled through a positive pole, no one knows. But the Zohar tells us because for energy to become manifest, it must have the quality of chasadim. Sharing. Must have that quality. It must have the quality of Michael. Without the quality of Michael, without a positive, functional operation of that bulb, there would be no circuitry, there would be no light. So therefore, to have the force of Hashem become manifest, it must ultimately be channeled through the force of Michael, the force of Chasadim, because the force must always be enclosed, housed, housed in what we learn in the morning in Or the Chasadim. It must be clothed in the internal energy intelligence called Chesed. <coughs> this is the reason that explains much of what this Pasha is about. And now we have an overview, at least, of why we're reading it. That even though the Kohen is not here now, when I say not here now, meaning he's not with those kind of clothing, it's true. It's true. It has been reduced. The force is not as, is not as dominant and not as forceful as it was, let's say, in the days of 
Aharon HaKohen in the, in the tabernacle, or the high priest in the Beth HaMikdash. And when did the beginning of the destruction start, says the Talmud and the Navi? When the Kohen, like today, forgot what this was all about. In other words, hey, this is a, an honorable position. And then what happened, says the Navi? The highest bidder was, became the Kohen Gadol. Once the knowledge of what this was all about, and that's why the Zohar immediately came out, when? Right after the Choban. Right after the destruction. Because it became, like even today, oh, he gets the first Aliyah. He's called up first to the Torah. Why? Because this is an honorable position. Therefore, they began bidding. The one who was the richest, he became, if he was a Kohen, he became the Kohen Gadol. What his qualifications were was unimportant. That's what happened. It was no longer what this individual contained or how or how he had an affinity or whether he was appropriate for that particular channeling. It became unimportant. Why? The knowledge disappeared. Disappeared. Like today. The Kohen does not know what his force is, what his channeling is, and for what purpose his channeling is, other than maybe to give him the honor, the respect, which I hate to say that many times it happens that we don't even give the Kohen the honor that is due him. Anyway, this is what the force of the clothing were to the Kohen. When we read it, at least, when we read it, and that's the, that's the purpose of reading this parsha on Shabbat or this coming Shabbat. We are tapping that condition, that situation of Aharon, of Aharon with his clothing on. That's why we're reading it. We're not reading here just to find out how, what kind of clothes he wore. For what reason? No interest. No. When we read this particular portion on Shabbat, we have an opportunity to tap Mikhail. That is our opportunity. And when you have Mikhail, you have created the healing that a Kohen provides you with. And all of the benefits that can be brought down by being enveloped with the force. Therefore, in the Birkata Kohanim, there are three parts. Why are there three parts? Well, it becomes obvious for those who study Kabbalah. Why are there three verses? Right, left, and central. The atom. The force of the atom, which is the most uh, closely aligned force to the Kohen. Like the Jews in the, in the Exodus. Splash the blood on three doorsteps, on three posts of the house. Why? Right, left, and central. The whole Torah talks of only one thing, nothing more. Power. How we can get the power of Hashem to do for me what I can't do for myself. Because I cannot prevent accidents. I cannot by myself prevent illness. There is no force known to the entire universal society on how we can protect ourselves. 
this is the force. That's why the Kohen has the blessing contained in three parts, right, left, and central. If you don't know that, then you're hearing the blessing of the Kohen. Unfortunately, you don't hear, what do you want with it? What is the benefit that I can that I can tap in that particular situation? And if the Kohen himself doesn't know, so he's not even the channel. Saying the bracha, but he doesn't even know why. He doesn't know what he's doing with the bracha. Continues the Zohar. And these, yakar in Hebrew could also mean expensive, but we're not, the Zohar was, yakar also means, yakar can also mean esteemed. What does it mean, esteemed? It has a capacity of handling something. You say, an esteemed person. Of knowledge, whatever. He displays a force, he's a direction, he's an esteemed person, meaning he has a, a capacity. So, yaka means these clothing are esteemed. Then the Kohen can go in. Then the Kohen can go in and be Meshamesh and to serve in the, in the holy place. And as long as he doesn't wear these clothes, the Kohen couldn't go in. Why? Because by and within himself, he is a physical entity. He is a frame of reference. Nothing more. He is not the force. The Kohen is not the force. The Kohen is the force when he can tap and act as a channel for the force. Nothing more. He is the force? Never. Never was and never will be. He can act as a channel because he is the proper, proper physical manifestation of a potential force. It is like I have the largest bulb known to mankind. But if I can't connect that bulb to a socket, it's of no avail. It's got to make the connection. Alright? This always says, this is very similar, if you remember, which I don't want to go into again, because we've discussed it, the uh, idea of Anan, the cloud. There was a cloud. He used to walk into the cloud. He walks into a cloud. Unfortunately, Planes also walk, go into clouds. What do we mean here by the cloud? <coughs> says this, oh, when he became enclosed in this cloud, then he went up. He could not enter within the Domi, because then it says he went up to the force. The power of the cloud, which is our benefit on Sukkot, only if you know about it, because we cannot connect to that Anan. We are not capable. We are the structure, our physical structure, include even if our mental structure was of that nature, we are not at that level, that conscious level of Moshe. 
he could enter into this Anan. What was the Anan? The Anan was that kind of force that can take, like a spacecraft, take Moshe into another dimension, another dimension that no one ever achieved, only Moshe. And he, in, in, in Kabbalistic literature, it is referred to as the consciousness level of Da'at. Da'at. He was that missing link or the connection between Zerampin and Bina. Only Moshe. Nobody achieved that level of consciousness that Mo- Moshe achieved. And therefore, he fitted into this cloud. On Sukkot, we connect with the cloud. That's the best we can do. How do we connect with the cloud? By the Sukkah. Without getting into the details. But the, so the Sukkah is also not there as a tradition. It is there like the Kohen. To act as a channel. The Sukkah acts as a channel by which we can connect to that Anan. That Anan is a spacecraft which we all enter into. The same thing to a limited extent when the Kohen blesses us. He blesses us. What do you mean blesses us? He places, he places a halo. I hope he, the Kohen knows that's what he's doing for us. Because if he doesn't know that, and that's not his intention, then unfortunately, he robbed us of an opportunity. He should be strung up. Strung up if he doesn't know that. But if he does, then he's providing us with that. What, what was that? Then? He he's, he, well, we have the other one. <laughs> then we should be completely hovered by that by that energy that the Kohen is bringing us, bringing to, to us the same way as Moshe. If he could not become enveloped in that Anan, he could not speak face uh, uh, pe not face to face, but he could not communicate directly on that level of consciousness with the force itself, with God. He couldn't. In other words, clothing is not just something you not to appear naked outside. But clothing doesn't make the man if he's not the man. But without those clothing, without those clothing, and if those clothing were meant to embody to embrace a certain aspect of the Kohen that today we're allowed. And that's why you see in all other in all other teachings, unfortunately, Far Eastern teachings, they all go with robes. The only ones who go with robes are Kabbalists or Hasidic rabbis go also with robes. Tradition. But the purpose of it is because the Kohen Gadol also went with a robe. Why we can't go with all of that, but we understand that maybe this can assist us. So am I suggesting we all, you know, remove our suits and and wear robes? Maybe, yeah. Maybe, yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. And this is the benefit, says, continues the Zohar. That we draw down the secrets. What do we mean the secrets? The powers 
that are above us, that we do not experience like a soul we can't feel. Some of us, anyway. Or that we have no connection with these various souls. And it says Moshe did not die. Moshe didn't die. He's still around. He's waiting for you to make a connection every day. Moshe didn't die, according to the Zohar. And he explains all of the seemingly contradictions. He's around. All day, 24 hours a day, waiting for anyone to make the connection with him. In other words, What happened with these clothing? What took place? And what made these clothing the way they were? And that it would become the force by which when the Kohen Gadol blessed the Jews, that was it. There was a complete security shield hovering over them to the extent that we know that they never really, they never had to buy new clothing, you know that. The 40 years that the Jews were in the wilderness, the clothes never wore out. You know, like this, you wear clothing too long, the seat becomes shiny and the clothes become a little shinier, right? It says both in the Zohar and in the Talmud, their clothing never became shiny. Never. Because that idea of fragmentation, that idea that causes shininess or wearing out, draining, did not exist. Okay, we'll have a short break. And, and we'll, and, and we'll. Out of business. Out of business.